Calvary, thank you for uh, the hope, the peace, um, the love, the grace, everything that you gave to us, everything that you still give to us. I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would speak through Michael, um, that you would open our hearts, open our eyes, uh, just to see you more clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. And while you're doing that, if you will turn to Ephesians chapter 3, we will be uh, there this morning. Um, in a little bit, we're going to spend some time in prayer. I want to just briefly look at uh, a few verses in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Uh, like I said, just a few moments, we're going to break up in some little groups and spend some time praying together. Uh, but before that, just uh, a brief look as we've been talking about uh, prayer over the last few months, and we'll continue to do that. Next week, we will return to our time in First Peter. Um, as we've taken them two or three weeks off for Easter and um, leading up to that, uh, and then this morning. So uh, next week we'll be back in First Peter, uh, the beginning part of chapter 2. Phil, could you go back briefly um, to the second verse before we sing the chorus again? That one right there. Um, Last week, we, we talked about the sufficiency of the gospel in Easter. We talked about that the gospel plus anything really is not the gospel. And part of our problem is, part of the temptation to want to add to the gospel is I think we just really have a hard time fathoming, believing, grasping, understanding that the cross really was enough. Surely that can't take care of, because you know yourself better than I do, and I know myself better than you do, right? Deep inside, deep down, we say, surely, surely I've got to do something for God to love me. And, and we, we sang just a little while ago, no power on earth, not even the grave can separate us from His mercy and grace. And again, I have to ask you, like we last week, do you believe that? Because if we, if we harbor doubts, if we harbor, it just can't be that good, then we will necessarily then try to add to the gospel. We will try to, we will try to come up with something that, that we can do to, that, that might make God happy. That might make Him like me a little better. And, and we've, we find ourselves going and thinking... I can give this to God versus depending and trusting on Calvary. But that really is enough. Thanks, Phil. Um, there's a temptation to not believe that He requires no additions from us because of what His Son did for us. Right? He, he requires no additions from us because of what His Son did for us. And we have a hard time, again, fathoming that love because, see, we don't love like that. The best picture we have other than, than here, I mean, we have the truth, and yet we look around, we look at our own hearts, and, and sometimes... I. Maybe a lot of times you, you catch yourself, I catch myself doing acts of love and thinking, well, if I do that, they'll do something in return. And so then the question we have to ask ourselves, is that really love? Because see, what love did, we, we read, if we, if we backed up from last week from Philippians 2, 
See, Jesus, who was in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But made himself nothing. He took the form of a servant. And coming in the likeness of man, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Doing that, knowing, giving all that up, sacrificing for us, knowing that we wouldn't appreciate that. And so when we love, sometimes it's manipulative. Sometimes it's to get something out of it. So it looks like love. It sounds like love. Anybody from the outside looking in say, oh, that's, that's love. But sometimes deep down we, we do it to build ourselves up, to build our own kingdom, to get what we want out of it. And I think, I think in the back, even if we don't think about that consciously, in the back of our mind, we know sometimes that our love is not perfect, and so we wonder how in the world God could do that, because we have a hard time doing it. And so Paul in Ephesians spends two and a half chapters talking about the wonderful blessings of God talks about all that God has done for us without asking anything in return. Uh, he begins, He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Then he goes and lists a good dozen of those blessings. And then he talks about how He created the church and how He's made us one. That, that even people that we're mortal enemies with, through the power of the Spirit, He can make us one. He can bring reconciliation. He can bring healing to those relationships. This wonderful, powerful thing that God has done. And then Paul stops and takes a breath and says, they're not going to get this. <laughs> and he's right. We don't get it. Because if we did get it, then the rest of what he writes in chapters 4, 5, and 6 would be easy. We wouldn't struggle with the, the response that we should have to the gospel, but we do, and so Paul prays. And so very briefly, we want to look at what he prays for, and then we are simply going to gather in groups this morning and we're going to pray those very things for one another. And my encouragement and my challenge to you as you pray for each other during the week, which we've encouraged and challenged you to do over and over because we need it, is that, that in some small way you would add some of these things to your prayers because number one, I need to be reminded on a regular basis that God actually loves me. And I'm convinced as I hang out with people enough that you need to be reminded on a regular basis that God loves you. And so let's look at, at three specific things that Paul prays. Let me read this section and then we'll look at it together. He says, beginning in verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. That He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, would have power together with all the saints to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to, all, according to the power that works within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. He gives us three things that three things that he really prays for. The first is that we would be strengthened on the inside. 
See, our problem is, is that we think it's important to strengthen ourselves on the outside. I want to look good for you. That may be physical strength, lifting weights, running, you know, working on our figure. It could be just the way we come across. Could be the words that we use. We could see when I was in high school and junior high, if you'd have asked almost anybody, any adult that knew me, they would have said, Oh yeah, he's a Christian. If you'd asked most of my friends that knew me well, they probably would have said, eh, maybe not. Because I knew how to clean up the outside. I could be respectful, I could be kind, I knew how to watch my language in front of adults. Yes, sir, no, sir. Right? And even showed up in church on a semi-regular basis in high school. So, of course. Right? We're good at strengthening the outside. And Paul says what really needs to happen is the inside needs to be strengthened. He says, through the Spirit. Because, see, we try to strengthen the inside, too, through all kinds of means. And really the only way that we change is by God's Spirit changing us. And so we need to pray for one another that we'd be strengthened on the inside. Right? Paul writes, O foolish Galatians, having begun by the Spirit, are you now trying to be made perfect by the flesh? In other words, are you pulling yourself up by your bootstraps? Are you mustering your own energy? And so we, we pray for one another because, see, See, Peter thought that, his, that he was strong enough. He said, Jesus, I'll go to the death with you. Right? Remember the night that Jesus was betrayed? Jesus, I'll go to the death with you. He had this firm resolve. Nothing is going to separate me from you, Jesus, not even death. And Jesus said, Peter, you don't need resolve. <laughs> you need prayer. And he even, he even took them and gave them an opportunity in the garden. And what did they do? They fell asleep. And then what did Peter do? Well, he denied Jesus. He, he needed to spend time in prayer. He needed spiritual strength, not a great resolve and a great testimony in front of all his friends. Right? When push comes to shove, when the fire gets hot, me standing up and saying bold words aren't going to cut it if spiritually I'm weak. And so how are we strengthened on the inside? How do we pray for one another? Well, we pray for one another, number one, that we would rely on God's Spirit and not our own strength. Oh, I can do that. I can take care of that. I can handle this ministry. I can raise my kids right. I can love my wife correctly. I can love my husband correctly. No, we pray for one another that we would rely on God's Spirit to strengthen our inner man. And we need to pray for one another that we would do that through prayer. That may seem a little odd. I need to pray. You need to pray for me that I would persevere in prayer. I need to pray for you that you would persevere in prayer because that's how we are strengthened in our inner man. And our inner man is what ultimately changes the outer man. And so are you praying those things for one another on a regular basis? Number two, we need to understand Jesus' presence in our lives by faith. Paul says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
And I've always read that and thought, what's he talking about? Because he's writing to believers, and, and we know through the testimony of Scripture that, that Christ through the Spirit already dwells in us. So why was he praying that Christ would dwell in them if he already does? Well, the key is through faith. See, there, you can't operate, cut you open, and, and find Jesus in there. There's no blood test. There's no x-ray where Jesus shows up in there somewhere. Right? And sometimes in the midst of life, in the midst of struggles, in the midst of temptation, in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of bitterness or pain, or the dailiness of life... Those doubts run through our mind of, is God really present? Is Jesus really here? And sometimes I think we just don't think that He is. We just doubt that He's really present. I think that's what Paul is talking about, that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith, that even if it doesn't seem like He's present, because I'm not happy with my circumstances that I would believe and hold on to and cling firmly to the truth that He is there and that He's working all things for good to those who love Him, to those who are called according to His purpose. Do we pray for one another that we would know deeply through our spirit by faith that Jesus is present? Would you pray for me for that? Would you pray for one another for that? God, I pray that my dear brother and sister in Christ would know your presence in his life, in her life. That even when it doesn't seem like it, that by faith they would grasp onto that truth. Would you pray that for each other? On a regular basis, because Paul thought the Ephesians needed that, so my guess is maybe we probably need that as well. Number three, that we would know the depths of God's love in Christ. And he says that a couple of different ways. That you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. He kind of gives four dimensions. There's only three, right? He wants us to really know that. To experience, to understand deeply that we are loved. And if that wasn't enough, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. How do you know something that surpasses knowledge? You can't get there, and yet that's where we're after. It's what we're headed for. And that only comes through prayer. It only comes with the power of the Spirit to reveal to us something that intellectually we just that doesn't make sense. And it doesn't make sense that God would sacrifice Himself for a stubborn and obstinate people. That doesn't make sense. Oh, I can intellectually say it and repeat it to you. But mentally, sometimes I just don't buy it. Why? I don't see anybody else doing that. Why would God do that? Why would God, the Creator, the one who owes me nothing, the one who doesn't get anything back from that, why would He do that? And Paul says, I'm praying that you would begin to understand that. See, because what Paul's going to do starting in chapter 4, what God's going to do through Paul is going to call people to respond to that. He's going to call them to live their life a certain way. 
He's going to call them to live a life worthy of God, and we won't do that if we don't know how much He loves us. He's going to call them to live differently than unbelievers, and we won't do that if we don't know how much He loves us. God's going to call us to live in love, and we won't do that if we don't understand what love is as demonstrated on the cross. He's going to call us to live as children of light, to shine forth His image to the world, and we won't do that if we don't understand His love for us on the cross. He's going to call us to live wisely. And we won't do that if we, especially if we think, I've got to muster up something to please Him. And so will you pray for one another? Will you pray for me? That I would understand the depths of His love. Especially in the midst of my failures, especially in the midst of our sin, especially in the midst of, of confusion or frustration or tragedy or sorrow. And he says all of these things he prays so that they would be filled with the fullness of God. And I've been thinking about that for three or four weeks. What is the fullness of God? Is that, is that the pillar of fire that the Israelites saw? Is that the fullness of God? Is that kind of that power, that heat, that blaze, that emotion? Is that what we're talking about? Or is the fullness of, of God the, the God of armies, which sometimes we, we sing about in here? Uh, that God who, who, when those hundreds of thousands of Assyrians were encamped around Jerusalem, that He just sent them off at a prayer from Isaiah. Or the army that, that... I mean, do you really think Gideon's pots and torches and swords was going to solve the problem? No, the God of armies solved that problem. Is that what we're talking about? Is that the fullness of God? Or is the fullness of God the, the miracle of feeding the 5,000? Is that, is that what we're talking about? That they be filled with all the fullness of God, this ability to, to provide for whoever and whenever we need? Now, I think as we read through Scripture, what comes out is the, the fullness of God is, is the fullness of His character, both His love and His wrath, His mercy and His justice, His righteousness and His holiness. And where was that best exemplified? We see all those characteristics off and on through Scripture. But the one place, the one time when the fullness of God was on display in all of its facets was on the cross of Christ. That's the fullness of God. God coming and sacrificing Himself, being just and the justifier being love for His people and experiencing the wrath of God. Being righteous and holy and merciful. And so He wants us to experience the fullness of God, which means He wants us to, as we read throughout Scripture, He wants us to be like Him. He wants us to love like Him. Now, He doesn't want us to hang on a cross for the sins of people, but He wants us to be willing to sacrifice ourselves for the good of others, even if it's to our detriment. And we won't do that or be able to do that until we understand the love of God. And so Paul prays for them. It would be wonderful if, if as a body and as individuals, there was a consistent self-giving for others. And that won't happen until we really grasp God's love for us.
individually and collectively. So our admonition is to pray for one another. Because we're prone to forget, we're prone to doubt, we're prone to even ignore those truths. And so I'm going to leave uh, next one. I'm going to leave those up there. And I want us to, to break up in groups of three or four. So I want to spend, I want us to think. And what I want you to do very, very specifically is, if it's a group of three or a group of four, I want each person to pray for every other person in your little circle, those things. You can use your own words if you want to. Not a lot of time, no, not time, unless you don't know someone, introduce yourself, find their name. So if, if, so if I'm in this group, right, with Miss Jean and Bo and Debbie, if that's the group I'm in, then I'm going to pray for Debbie and Bo and Miss Jean that they would be strengthened on the inside. I'm going to pray for Debbie and Bo and Miss Jean that they would understand Jesus' presence by faith. And I'm going to pray for Bo and Debbie and Miss Jean that they would know the depths of the love of Christ. And then Debbie's going to pray for all three of us, and Debbie's going to pray all three of those things for all three of us, and then Bo's going to do that, right? Very quick. Doesn't have to be long. Again, we're not, this is not, not that we don't share prayer requests, but very specifically I want us to begin thinking about that this is not complicated to do. And yet it's something that I think is necessary and important for us to do for each other on a regular basis. And what I would challenge you to do in the coming days and weeks is begin implementing this as you pray for each other in the body of Christ. We passed out directories. You've got people's names and pictures. You may be overwhelmed thinking, I do that for everybody every day. Well, maybe not. There's, I don't know, 23, 24, 25 family units and singles in our... So what if you broke it up and did three or four a day? You'd pray for everybody in the church every week, right? I don't know, some of you do that already. But in that process, would you add some of these phrases? Would you pray that we would spiritually be strengthened? That spiritually we would know His presence? That spiritually we would know His love? So where you are, move chairs, that's fine. Groups of three or four, if some of the high school kids... It would be nice if the high school kids would stay with adults. That would be fun. But if that's a little strange for you, get with some of your, uh, your friends and circle up. Little kids, listen. If you're elementary age or younger, you're certainly welcome to participate in that. You can just say the words that are up there. But if you're uncomfortable, that's fine. You don't have to. But let's break up into groups. When you are finished, then just quietly you can get up and go in the hallway. And then when everybody's out, then we'll go on. And I think the youth are leaving right after this. Right, Tim? Right. Okay. Good.